0: Welcome to the Best of MBS podcast, a collection of the best interviews hosted by Michael Bungay Stanier, best selling author of The Coaching Abbot and How to Begin. Today's interview is from the Find Your Great Work interview series. Here's your host, MBS. It is a good day today because I get to talk to one of my heroes. Um, Now, 2011, there are approximately nine gazillion books written on coaching, uh, at the moment, and probably another two gazillion to be added in the next month or so. It's truly one of the topics du jour. And, uh, as with, you know, I guess most books, and, and maybe you're being a little harsh here, but most books are kind of the same stuff, rinse and repeat, with a bit of a, you know, plus or minus 5% difference. So as snobbish as I am about most coaching books, it means that when I find a coaching book that I truly love, I am insanely enthusiastic about it. And Mary Beth O'Neill's book, Executive Coaching with Backbone and Heart, is just one of those books. It has actually been around for a while. It's been sitting on my shelf for at least 10 years. And I think it is one of the most useful, most insightful, most subtle books on coaching that is out there. It's... Uh, It uh, tackles not just the kind of the the obvious pieces of coaching, but really it brings in a systems approach to how to engage with leaders and the challenges that they face. So I'm, I'm... Desperately excited to be talking to Mary Beth O'Neill. We've, it's actually taken us quite some time to set this call up, so you know, I'm thrilled for that alone that we got the logistics sorted, but really uh, excited to be talking to someone who's had such an influence on in the way I think about coaching and, and coaching at its best in, in an executive uh, setting. Mary Beth, welcome to the call.
1: Well, thank you, Michael. And can you tell I'm, I'm blushing through the phone? <laughs> well, you
0: know, I, I, I mean all I say. Um, and part of what's uh, intriguing about the book, and I think a really powerful metaphor, is uh, it's not just executive coaching, but it's executive coaching with backbone and heart. So mm-hmm. do you want to just tease that apart for folks? Why, why those two metaphors, and, and where's the power in them for you?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, backbone and heart is really kind of a shorthand way to talk about a pretty sophisticated idea, but people respond, like you, very viscerally to, to the metaphor, And it has to do with the way I think of it is that everyone comes either born and or raised with the ability to either have backbone or heart but not both. Hmm. And what I mean by backbone is the ability to know what you think and what your positions are, the ability to clearly articulate those, and the ability to not change just because you're being pressured to change your positions. You may change because it makes sense to change, but not just because you're being pressured. So that would be backbone. And, uh, although you could, you know, overdo it and become overly rigid in right. your position. So, so there's kind of a sweet spot around having backbone. And then also, heart is a shorthand way of saying, can you be tuned in and connected to other people? Can, can you show empathy? Do they, and do they know this about you? After a conversation with you, do they leave thinking, well, you know what? They 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 really understand where I'm coming from, and and the the sort of uh, black belt ability of being uh, having heart is, do people still have that impression of you that you really understand them, even when you're in a, when they're in a conflict with you? Got it. So so backbone and heart is the ability to both be clear about your positions and people know where you stand not to be overly vague, not to hide behind others' positions, and also to be tuned in. So that's kind of, you know, I mean, uh, (laughs) there's kind of a joke that, you know, the ability to do that and stay that way, um, even while under pressure, only very few people have been able to do that, like maybe, oh, Gandhi, Jesus, Buddha. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, the rest of us can pull it off at times, and then we sort of fall out of the sweet spot.
0: It's um, I mean, it is, it's an interest. It's it's almost two sweet spots because in some ways you're asking people to hold two positions at the same time: a, a deep sense of clarity about who you are and what matters to you, mm-hmm. a deep sense of being in the other person's shoes and having a sense of connection and what matters to them.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like uh, you know having bifocals or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the things about Backbone, and I think it connects to us, and you, you write about this in the book, um, you talk about the importance of presence. Now, as, as a coach, you talk about the importance of sustaining presence, which I think is sustaining backbone and heart, really. But really, whether you're a coach or not a coach, that, that ability to maintain presence mm-hmm. is such a powerful ability. Do you want to just talk a little bit about what, what presence is, and, and also what knocks people away from, from having presence?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I talk about the ability to have and maintain your own signature presence mm. uh, because I think that a lot of times, uh, and, and why I love executive coaching is the very things that I am helping leaders to be able to do more, for example, um, express more backbone and heart, I, as an executive coach, have to be able to do that when I'm with them.
0: Right. The, so medium, a, the medium is the message.
1: Yes. I mean, it's so great because you know I'm I'm for um, I'm challenged to be able to do the same kind of things that that my clients are challenged by. So I have a deep empathy for what they're going through. So both leaders and coaches need to have this signature presence, and I think that particularly. Uh, leaders and coaches, when they're in a learning mode, when they're trying to get more mastery in their profession and their career than their right. vocation, they have a tendency to think, well, I like, I like what they, that person can do. I want to be able to pick up more on what they can do. And that's great if they see a skill that they want to acquire, but then they start thinking that maybe they have to be more like that person. Right. And the signature presence means, no, actually, you can show yourself your quirks, <laughs> you know, your particular genius um, by using your own presence. Don't try to be someone else. So I re- really want to encourage people to do that. I often tell my clients that, yes, there may be some things they need to develop, but they don't have to go through a personality transplant to do it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it, it brings to mind to me the... Uh... The distinction I learned from Ron Heifetz about technical and adaptive challenges Uh in the sense that technical challenges are those sort of external skills which you might look at somebody else and go, I I could do with some of that, and and you gain those technical skills. But Uh adaptive uh, challenges are that sense of personal growth and personal clarity and that's not something you get from anybody else. That's from going inside and deciding, going, what is my signature way of showing up in this world, and what are the patterns I want to change, and what are the patterns I want to keep.
1: Yes, yes. So this, so and then, so then, the emphasis on presence, and you're getting at it now, is the ability. When you said the two sweet spots, too, like, can, uh, first of all, am I aware in the moment of myself and the other person, and then can I actually? have a conversation about that with the other person right because often that's the real change in a, a frustrating conversation is when we can say stop stop let's just have a timeout how is it that we're talking maybe we're maybe how we're talking isn't as productive as it needs to be and I need to bring more of myself when I have those kind of conversations
0: yeah very interesting that that ability to talk about the, the talk about the relationship rather than just having the relationship being an invisible container in which the, mm-hmm. the hurly burly yes. of life continues and yeah. stepping out of that and seeing the container and going, hey, this is happening again.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: what, what do we want to do to, to shift that, if anything?
1: Yes. Exactly. That. And that kind of gets into another, uh, sort of passion of mine and a a joy that I have working with clients is this whole idea of shifting patterns.
0: Perfect. Yeah. I was just about to ask you about that for a similar reason. So, I mean, uh, uh, unpack what that means. I I think I understand what you mean by shifting patterns, but to somebody who might not be as sort of immersed in the coaching jargon of life, Mm -hmm. what, what do you mean by shifting patterns?
1: Again, it's sort of, you know, this thing around the, the, the deal about the fish can't see the water. Mm. We're, we're all involved in patterns when we relate to each other that we don't see. And patterns are anything that particularly, of course I'm working with leaders and teams where they'll get into a pattern of relating with each other. And the, the thing is, is that usually people can tell that something's not working. Right. But when they want to diagnose it and say what's not working, they always say, well, there's something that the other person's doing that's not working.
0: Right. right. This has like, nothing to do with me. I'm the innocent person here.
1: Yes. All them. I'm pure as a driven snow, yeah, and exactly. if, if they would just stop being so defensive, everything <laughs> would be fine. That's right. Uh, but a pattern is a way to describe, you know what? These ways that we talk to each other, they're co-created. Hmm. And I'm contributing as much as the other person. And leaders and teams get into these co-creative patterns all the time. Some of the patterns are useful and and result in a lot of creativity and productivity and effectiveness and increased results to the organization. And some patterns, many patterns, are dysfunctional and keep people from being productive. So I work with clients on um, helping them shift the unproductive patterns by starting with themselves, what, what, identifying the part that they're contributing and then what can they do to shift it.
0: It's very interesting. you know. In, in your book, you talk about patterns a lot and you talk about the, the triangles of uh, stressing situations that people get into. And One of the things that I, I, I teach and, and a fan of is the uh, Cartman Drama Triangle, which I think is connected mm. to the, the similar work where you see three roles, you know, the the persecutor, the victim, and the rescuer. And what mm-hmm. you see is their their roles that only exist in relationship to somebody else. And mm-hmm. it's that it's that pattern that dance together that is what drives everybody bananas.
1: Yeah, yes, and unfortunately, um, coaches or any helper, it's so easy to step into the rescuer role. Oh, so
0: so tempting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and then we're off and running with another pattern
0: <laughs> well, of course because because we're either as soon as we as soon as you adopt that rescuer role it um immediately invites somebody to play the victim or even play the persecutor in response to that and just as you say we're off off and racing again so yeah so, so help people i mean people might be nodding their head going oh i have this I have this nasty feeling that I may be engaged in patterns, and, and by the way, the answer is yes, you are. Um, <laughs> how, can you only break these patterns with the help of somebody like a coach sort of pointing them out to you, or are there ways of kind of trying to increase your own awareness of the dynamics? Um, I don't mean there, to out of a job here. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, it, it takes a while to learn to see patterns, Um, one way that you can do it that's sort of fun is think about a TV show where the characters are doing the same thing over and over again all the time. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of sitcoms that happens, or a perfect example is the whole genre of soap operas.
0: Of course, yeah.
1: You know how you can tune into a soap opera and there's some young guy and, and he's the pursuer and he's chasing this young woman and she keeps retreating, Right. And, and they're in this little, you know, typical romantic sort of thing. He's the pursuer, she's the distancer. That's actually a pattern. Of course. One, yeah. one side pursues, the other distances. Now one side could say, the pursuer could say, why does she keep distancing? I don't understand this. And she says, well, that's because you're pursuing me. Right. So they're in, they're locked into this pattern. And the great thing about soap operas is you could then not watch the show for six months, turn around again, and guess what? He's still pursuing and she's distancing.
0: And, and I so, think by six months you actually mean six years. You know? yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like... yeah. So, I mean, if you wanted to see, well, what are patterns like, watch those shows where you yeah. can just count on, you know, the characters. And you, you kind of know the shows mm-hmm. in terms of, like, any of the old Seinfeld shows would do that, any right. current sitcom or soap operas, they're great at that.
0: Yeah, and I think what what you're pointing to is fantastic, because what you're pointing to is that, um, sure, these shows have archetypal characters that are being played, but Mm -hmm. actually what really creates the engine for the show is the archetypal dynamics between the characters, and those are as familiar and, and comfortable a pattern as the characters themselves.
1: And that they're all reinforcing each other.
0: Right, absolutely.
1: That no one really starts it. Um, I mean, like at the beginning of the show, it might look like someone started it, but that's only because they're reacting to whatever happened the week before. Uh,
0: that's right, exactly.
1: So, in terms of how this works out in organizations, yeah. Um, you know, just as an example, I had a leader who was a very inspiring leader, but no one was following him. Uh-huh. And he was in a very, I mean, it was a critical time. He was a new CEO. Um, he, he was brought in to turn the organization around because it was going down. And his immediate team loved his inspiration, but they weren't really getting things happening on, you know, the lower levels of the organization. And so as I watched them interact and as he talked about his challenges, it was clear that they were in this pattern where he would promote these ideas and they would, you know, assent to them. But actually what they were doing was deflecting away from having to do anything about it. Right. So he would promote and they would deflect. Often the deflection would come as, well, but but what about this issue? Well, what about that issue? And then he'd run off and chase after it. And then he'd come back and promote again. Well, you know, but really we have to get back to this thing. So this promote, deflect, promote, deflect. And there was no change happening and, you know, the organization's continuing to suffer and right. maybe not, not, um, be able to exist any longer. I mean, they were at that point. And then working with him, uh, first to help him discover that there would be a better way for him to relate to them. Mm. And, and this is where, in a weird way, I mean, as strong as he was in terms of having a stand about what needed to happen, he didn't have any follow-through on it. So we actually had more heart than backbone. Right. And he needed to increase his backbone. So then the exciting thing for me is that pattern shifts almost always require you to have to bring your backbone and heart into balance. You're either too far out on one or the other.
0: That's a great insight. I mean, I don't think I've... I don't remember reading it put quite like that in the book, and I love that, which is that sense of, it feels like it's like Chinese medicine. Somehow your humors are out of whack, and you've got to balance the background in the (laughs) heart, and somehow that will bring you back into stability and ability to have the impact you want.
1: I never thought of that, Michael. I'm doing Chinese medicine.
0: Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) If you need a little (laughs) woo-woo, you're (laughs) there.
1: So this leader actually needed to learn how to insist. Right. He really needed to show that he actually expected them to do what what he what what was inspiring and what needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And the the irony is, and this is what you know, people with not enough backbone it's hard for them to realize that the more they insist, the more their teams actually initiate and commit. Right. They often think that if they insist, they're going to squash initiation. But for people who have too much heart and not enough backbone. If they grow more of a backbone, their teams actually love it, and they come forward and commit.
0: So I'm totally taking notes right here because I am that person. <laughs> I'm like, if I, I if I'm out of whack, it's 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 not enough backbone. So I'm like thinking mm-hmm. this is good. This is good stuff. I'll be taking back to some of the members of my team. So beware, members of my team, if you're listening to this. <laughs> yeah,
1: if you're listening. Yeah. yeah. So so the result was yeah. that. Within the year, they were able to not only um, continue their existence, but they had a $500,000 surplus in their budget, which they were not expecting at all. So that's what I find so exciting is these pattern shifts can actually affect results. And, oh, another way to learn about patterns is to think about how can you reduce the pattern? Like, you know, I'm talking about that soap opera pattern of, you know, a guy who's interested in a gal, and you know he's pursuing, she's distancing, noticing that I'm using just one word for each side of the pattern. Yeah. pursue distance. Right. So if you can get it down to one verb on either side, you know you've got the pattern. Oftentimes people have a hard time doing that. They want to out of their own anxiety, they're 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 describing on they're going on and on and on about what it is, and they're they're usually they fall into blaming the other side. But if you can get down to what's the one thing that i'm doing what what is that verb yeah, and what's the one thing that they're doing so the old pattern was promote deflect uh, of the CEO and his team, and the new pattern is insist commit and it really helps them to know whether they're on it or off it too if you just get it down to two words
0: I, I love that because you know one of the one of the thing that entangles all of us is um, the, the minutiae of our own story and how we think that that makes me a special case and it's like no you don't understand this is the this is the specific dynamic and so often and it's humbling really you know we, we're playing out you know one of six different patterns and you know, okay. it's, it's classic it's not your the minutiae of who you are and what you're doing is actually you know almost secondary and so the mm-hmm. wisdom you're bringing to this is getting down to recognizing those basic patterns can get you really clear insight about, A, you're not that different, which is disconcerting, but at the same time, you're not that different, which means that this is a pattern that people have seen before and changed before.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so in the end, it can be actually inspiring. And I think a lot of times it's the anxiety that keeps me you know, talking more and more and more and kind of hiding from myself in terms of having to tolerate the discomfort to actually go for a different goal that i want
0: you know i've, I've been doing um a lot of reading and, and a bit of practicing around um uh robert keegan and lisa Leahy's wonderful book called immunity to change and i bring it up just because it does a very a very fine job at in a simple process helping people start um seeing some of their own patterns um in terms of Recurring patterns where you go, ah, I keep trying to change this, and it keeps being the same. It's a really wonderful uh, process to help people figure out this is the thing, this is the place for me to give my attention to. Mhm.
1: Mhm. Yeah, that's great. Well, you, the way I think of it is that adults are still in the process of growing up. Right. Right. And, um, it's, it's, that's what's so humbling, particularly in the workplace, because, and particularly among managers and leaders, is because we think, well, we've got this position, so we're supposed to know it all.
0: Yeah.
1: But adults really are not fully baked human beings, and we still need to learn some of the really basic stuff in terms of how we relate to each other.
0: How, um, and I know we've only got a few minutes left, Mary Beth, but I'm, I'm just curious to know how you, how you find um, the degree of kind of I guess connection or trust with the people you work to be able to shift some of these patterns because you make it sound like your confidence makes it sound almost like a casual interaction. But my suspicion is that it takes a certain uh, it, it takes a lot of work to get somebody to that process, the point of being able to go. I, I, I'm willing to look to shift this pattern. I'm just wondering how you you build that relationship of trust that actually allows that to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, some of it... See, this is what I love about the workplace mm-hmm. is that people aren't running around at work saying, I want to be a better person. Right. That's usually what they go to therapy for. But they are weren't running around at work going, I need to be more effective. Now, actually... To be more effective, you have to be a better person. <laughs> but but um, Just did not
0: tell anybody that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. But the motivator is they need to get results. Yeah. So that's the leverage yeah. is that, they're, you know, there's something they're facing at work that they need to shift how they're behaving so that they can get a better result. So that's already a mobilizer for them. Right. And I join them around that mobilizer. And then as they're talking about the difficulty of having to do this shift, um, I think you're picking up something when you say my tone is one of confidence, almost casual. I have a tendency, like I'm, I'm dead serious about the work, but I'm very casual with my clients in the sense of, I think one of the most important or, uh, um, arenas for learning is having a sense of humor about human foibles. And 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 to be gracious towards oneself about my foibles while I'm learning. Right. And I let them know right off the bat that I'm a flawed human being and I've done some funny things while Mm -hmm. I've been learning. And so we sort of connect on that level. They see that I'm not going to condemn them for being in a learning awkward place. And so it helps them to get out of their own way then. It kind of diffuses the avoidance or defense or blaming. Right,
0: which I'm sure you would point to as other patterns about how people interact with you.
1: Yes, Uh uh-huh.
0: That's great, you know, it's and it's a perfect place to to start to wrap the call up, but um, it's one of my bugbears about this work we do, coaching or personal development is how dull and um, unlight it can be at times, and just the value of a lightness to it that in no way deflects from the, the importance of the work but actually allows it to actually flourish, I think.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. It It's what makes it so stimulating, challenging, and fun at the same time. Exactly.
0: So, Mary Beth, your book is fantastic, Executive Coaching with Backbone and Heart. I suspect it's never going to go out of print. So um, anybody listening, I'm going to guess it's, it's definitely findable on Amazon or any of the online booksellers and, and at a bookseller yes. near you. Mary Beth, if people want to find out more about you and your work, is there a place they can find do that?
1: Uh, yes, my website, uh, the address uh, are my initials, mboexecutivecoaching.com.
0: Fantastic, mboexecutivecoaching.com. Mary Beth, it's been a total pleasure. Uh, you know, um, your work is really good. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's really wise and profound and... And I think has the ability to actually really shift the impact within uh, that coaching can bring to an organization. And truly, I think one of the, I think often coaching doesn't operate at that level that it actually has an organizational effect. It might have a personal Mm -hmm. effect, but rarely at an organizational uh, level. But I think Mm -hmm. the type of coaching you talk about in your book and the work you do actually creates change at that deeper, more profound level. So thanks. I really appreciate your time today.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this Best of MBS interview.
0: Want more great content? Head to MBS.Works. There you'll find MBS's new podcast, Two Pages. You can learn about his best selling books, and you can join the newsletter. That's MBS.Works.